0: Maybe, perhaps, you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Maybe, just maybe, you being you winning. Did I? Leave? I left that part out. She wins the beauty contest. She becomes king, queen, right? I left that part out. She becomes queen, and he's like, maybe, just maybe, you winning this beauty contest is for this reason. Maybe it's for this opportunity. And so what is Esther's response in chapter, in chapter 4, verse 15? Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She says, I want to protect my people. I want to save my people. And if it means me dying because I go in front of this king who's a little bit off balance and he just kills people at a whim, then that's what it is. But I've got to try something. I've got to stand up to this king. I've got to stand up to this edict. I've got to do something. Esther was determined to help her people, even if it cost her her life. She was a Jew, and no one knew it. She could have stayed silent. You think about that? She could have just stayed silent and been queen and moved things along. But she moved out of a place of comfort to do what was right. Her and her maids, along with all the other Jews in Shushan, including Mordecai, fasted to help Esther prepare to save her people. And this fasting, this, this three days, helped her come up with a plan. It's, and maybe in hindsight, the plan makes so much more sense. You have a king that likes to party and get drunk, so let's invite him to a party. Right? So let's show another party. And so chapter 5, we read about Esther's... First banquet. She invites the king and she invites Haman. And she approaches the king though and she goes to him in chapter 5, verse 3 and the king sees her and he doesn't kill her. Because remember the rule is if you come to the king and you weren't asked to go to the king, you can be killed. And she goes to the king and, she's, and, she, and he goes, it's Esther, it's my beauty pageant winner, it's my queen, it's my trophy wife. And he goes, whatever you want, even up to half the kingdom, I'm gonna give it to you. I mean, it feels like she missed an opportunity there, quite honestly. <laughs> right? And she goes, She goes, Well, could you and Haman come to dinner with me? I wanna have a party, a dinner just for you guys. We're gonna have a banquet tonight. And so they go to the banquet, and the king's like, This is great, the food, the drinks, the party. Haman, you, you're beautiful. What do you want? I'll give you half of the kingdom. And she says, "You know what? I want to have another party. Just you and Haman. We're gonna have a good time tomorrow night. Will you do that?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love parties." Okay. And so the so Haman leaves the party that night. Now remember, this is a we're talking about a two day span here. She walks in, she invites him to a party that night. Haman leaves the party that night, and he is on cloud nine. I'm having. I'm the second in command. Everybody's bowing to me, but this weird dude. The queen is inviting me to private parties with her and the king. I am in. Things are going well. And on his way home, Mordecai's there. He sees him, and he doesn't bow. Boy, he gets mad at that. He gets so upset that Mordecai's not bowing. So he goes home, and he talks to his wife. He's like, Mordecai's not bowing to me. Everything's going well, but Mordecai's not bowing I just need to kill these Jews. And his wife's like, I got an idea. Let's build... Now, the Bible says gallows, but if you go back to the history, it was actually like a giant stick, a giant tree that they would impale them on. Okay? Much more gross. Let's build an impaling stick that we will impale Mordecai on. You're second in command. Just go to the king tomorrow morning and tell him we're going to impale Mordecai because he won't bow to me. And you put me in second command, and I should have this, I should have this authority. I should people should have to bow to me. Let's impale this dude. And so she comes up with this idea to build a 50-cubit impaling stick that's 75 feet tall. How do you even get him up there, right? And so he orders the stake to be built that night, right? He's got some power. They're building the stake. But in chapter 6, so you're seeing this. In chapter 6, the story changes somewhat. Haman goes home and whines to his wife. Esther presumably goes to bed, and the king goes to bed. And the king cannot sleep. Maybe he ate too much. Maybe he drank too much. Maybe he's, the parting is getting to him. I don't know. And so he's like, I can't fall asleep. Can you, can you bring somebody in to play an Odyssey for me? No, that's not what he said. That's what my kids say. Right? Could, you bring, could we listen to 102.5 so I could fall asleep? No. He didn't ask for the drither, the, you know, the zither, whatever the people play. right? He didn't ask for that. He's like you know what would really help me? Just go read the historical records. It's like reading a contract, right? This is super boring. You know, I can just imagine it now like, oh, this, this John came in and he asked for something and you told him no. Okay, great, move on to the next story, right? And that's, the, that's what happened, right? He's reading the historical records. And so I got to imagine there's a lot of historical records. A lot of pages to read, a lot of things going on. And they're supposed to help him fall asleep, Here's the story, seemingly randomly, of Mordecai. He's like, there's this story, and these you can they're reading it off in the jargon. Yeah, somebody attempted to kill you. Uh, We saved, we saved you. The the people that were trying to kill you. The guy's name was Mordecai, and he goes on to the next story. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa! What was that story? Clearly, he was still not asleep. He's like, Mordecai saved my life. That guy at the gate. Well, I got to do something for him. I got to do something for Mordecai. And so now. You see the stories converge. Haman is coming in in the morning, super excited. His wife has pumped him up. He's going to ask to impale Mordecai on a stake. You see the 24-hour period here, right? We're going to do this? And the king is like, I need Mordecai saved my life. i got to do something with him. And so Haman's waiting outside the door, and the king's like, what's going on? And he's like, Haman's waiting outside. He's got something for you. Haman's like, and uh, not Mordecai, sorry, the king says, hey, Haman, Haman, come in here. And Haman goes, i got something for you. And the king's like, wait, wait, wait. Wait, 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 hold on. I have a question for you, Haman. Now, Haman's on cloud nine. Remember this? Remember everything that's going on in his life? Things are great. And in verse 6, 6, Haman comes in and the king, in chapter 6, verse 6, and the king asks him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it the king would want to honor more than me? I'm second in command. And so we we get these selfish tendencies, right, when we feed our our flesh. It says, and Haman answered the king, hmm. Well, so think about it. He says, who, what should be done to the king, for, for the man the king delights to honor? Haman thinks to himself, who should, who, it's gotta be me. So I know what I'm gonna do. And Haman answers the king, he says, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. The king told Haman, hurry, do just as you propose. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. It, the story's more interesting when you realize that this all happened in like a lesson 24, like she goes that one morning and the next morning, Mordecai's, uh, Haman's all excited to like put Mordecai on an impaling stick and yet the king has this random dream the night before and randomly comes to this part of the message, right? Like how does this, this is, and so Haman is humiliated. Think about all his family that he was whining to his wife. He had ten sons. His sons, the people underneath him, he's been chattering with all the last couple months. He says, hey, the Mordecai guy, he's got to go, go build that impaling stick, and all the people that knew the construction project was going on and maybe even done. They're like, yeah, the sticks for 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 Mordecai, and then they walk out, and Haman's walking around with this with Mordecai, and he goes, this is what del- is for the king, who, for the man the king delights to honor. This is how we honor the man the king delights to honor. Haman's walking around, saying this about Mordecai, and everybody's like, "Didn't you just build the impaling stake for this guy?" And so, in chapter seven, that must have happened that day, right? And then chapter seven, the second banquet happens. That's the second night. So she goes to him. There's a banquet. He has a dream. He has to put Mordecai on the horse, traps him around. Second night. Esther's second banquet. And she tells the king, he says, "What's going on? This great food? Great drink. Great times. What's going on?" And she says, "There is people. There's someone trying to kill me and my people." <clears throat> By the way, I forgot to mention, I'm a Jew. You're a Jew. Yeah. And the king, likely, food filled up with food and drunk again, he gets furious. And we've seen what he does when he gets furious. People die. And so he orders Haman to be killed on the same impaling stick Mordecai was supposed to die on. And in chapter 8, so now they've gotten rid of of Haman. They haven't. The king got rid of him. They get rid of Haman. And Esther and Mordecai once again propose a plan. They start working things out. They're like, how do we reverse this decree? But there's a problem in the Persian Empire. You can't reverse decrees. Decrees are decrees. They are what they are. You can't just change it and be like, oh, we're going to amend this and just cross it out. This decree never happened. You can't do it. But instead, they helped the king write a new decree that allows the Jews to defend themselves. And at this time in chapter 8, Mordecai is now elevated to a position of greatness. In chapters 9 and 10, we read about all the great things Mordecai and Esther did. All the people that came at the Jews because of the new decree that allowed them to defend themselves, they they defended themselves and they destroyed everybody that was coming after them. They even had all the help of the officials and leaders. They were a little bit scared, like, what's going to happen if we don't, like, protect Mordecai? He's second in command now. This is a problem. We better help him. And so they all helped Mordecai and Esther. Even Haman's ten sons were destroyed. And they put them on the impaling stick as well. Thanks, Esther 9.16. That's where we read that. And then a feast was created, the Feast of Purim, the feast celebrating the day that they were saved because the day they were supposed to be killed was the day the new decree said they could defend themselves. And so the day they were saved, a new feast called Purim to remember the defeat of Haman. And so they fast the first day of the feast. It's called the Fast of Esther. And that's the book of Esther. sounds like a good story. Probably make a better TV show. There's murder. There's love. There's partying. There's betrayal. There's revenge. You know, in hindsight, this would probably not be a TV show we could all watch or should all watch. There's even a twist when you realize that this gallows is going to be, he's going to be putting on the stake that he was trying to get the other guy on. There's a lot going on in this story that's super awesome and exciting. But there's one large thing missing in this story. There's one word I did not mention at all in this story. There is one word, one topic, one person, one being that is not mentioned in this book of the Bible at all. This is the only book of the Bible that never mentions God. And so now we have to ask ourselves, the series is about God is faithful, and then Peter, you're going to roll out this, and it's the God's Word for Life series, it's not me. You're going to roll out the fourth person, and God's not even mentioned. How are we talking about God? Is, where is God in the story? What a horribly difficult situation, and God is missing. Or is he? Let's look at some of the specific moments of this story that by themselves don't mean much and may seem random, but when looked at together, maybe we see things a little bit differently. And these are just some of the points I have that I noticed that don't make sense to me. Or at least, it's not that they don't make sense, it's just like, that could go either way, right? Esther and Mordecai, everybody's allowed to go home. This is before she's queen. They decide to stay in Shushan. They could have gone home. They decided to stay. Is that random? Is that their choice? Was there no camels? I don't know, but they were there. They stayed in Shushan. Kind of random to me. Another interesting thing to me is that for the first time that we know of, because it only mentions one time, but all of a sudden Vashti, the queen, decides that I'm not going to be your eye candy anymore. Why did it happen at that moment? That seems weird. And then another, Esther, the young Jewish girl, I'm sure she's beautiful, against all odds, she's chosen to be on a, She's chosen to be queen. She didn't try very hard for this. They're like, you're selected. She's like, because all eligible young women, and I hope eligible, yeah, this sounds bad, I hope eligible is like the attractive ones, right? Like they're walking through, and they're like, otherwise we don't know, but Esther's at home. They're like, yeah, you're pretty, you can come. Let's go, right? She didn't try hard. She wasn't there saying, I'm gonna do this and this, I'm gonna have my makeup this way, I'm gonna go I'm gonna wear this dress, and I'm gonna act this way and hold this thing and do the teacup thing for my for my skills test. She just said, I'm here. I'm following the steps that I'm supposed to follow. I'm obeying. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, well, you should wear this and look this way and say this when you walk in. She's like, okay, I'll do that. She was on a mission for God and she didn't even realize it. And, and here's a key point, that if, we, if God is ordering our steps, right? Because there's, there's a Bible verse and I didn't write it, write it down, but it says the steps of a man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his ways. If God is ordering our steps, then we, don't, we have to try hard to obey and to serve God and to love God and to read his word. But we don't got to try hard with the rest of it. God's ordering the steps. Another story that's interesting to me is that Mordecai saves Xerxes. And the story is forgotten? Boy, I'd be upset if I was Mordecai. Where's my reward? Sometimes we want that reward, but we see where that reward was actually more helpful at the end. We see where Haman decides to kill all Jews and use a dice to decide the date. You know an interesting thing about Haman? It literally says that he was an Agagite. You know what an Agagite is? A descendant of King Agag. Does Anybody remember who King Agag is? First Samuel 15. God tells Saul to kill every one of the people in the kingdom and kill the king, kill his kids, kill his sons, daughters, kill the sheep, kill the goats, and Saul does not obey. This is years and years and years ago. And we see this in our life. If we do not kill the things in our life that God wants us to kill, they will come back to bite our, our, our generations below us. And you may not think it's a big deal, but you will, it will follow you. Somebody in your heritage will have to face that enemy. Somebody in your family will have to face that circumstance. Somebody in your family will have to face that challenge. Saul didn't want it to be him. But do you know what? Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And Esther was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so finally, a Benjaminite, a young woman had to stand up and face the fear and the challenge that her great, great, great whatever was not willing to face. These challenges don't leave on their own. The next interesting part is that the king can't sleep. On the night he partied, he can't sleep. And then there's the Chronicles that just at that moment mention that one story. Hmm, weird. Payment's humiliated, Mordecai is glorified. Really starts to put some things in there. It says God in different verses, James, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Matthew, Jesus said, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Proverbs 1812 says, Honor comes after humility. And then finally we read where Mordecai and Esther are now in places where the the king comes to them for advice and they make a new decree where the Jews can defend themselves. They create a feast, a holiday to remember the defeat of Haman that's still celebrated to this day in the Jewish community. We need to have things that we remember in our lives. We need to remember the things that God does for us and celebrate them. Maybe put them on a calendar and start remembering that God delivered you from that sin. God delivered you from that mindset. God delivered you from that lifestyle. And so when things get rough, you would be like, well, God's not around. I don't see him in the story. He was there, and he was faithful. And that's why it's important to write these things down. Write down, keep a list of the things God's done for you. And when times are rough and you feel like you're in the middle of Shushan and God's not around... Pull out that list and say, God was faithful here. God is faithful here. God is faithful here. And so maybe that's the lesson in the story of Esther. Maybe we don't always see God in the moment. But that doesn't mean he isn't working. It doesn't mean he isn't faithful. And it doesn't mean he won't keep his promises. God is still at work at difficult situations. We saw it in Ruth. We saw it in Daniel. We saw it in Jonah. And he was working in seemingly insurmountable odds. The story is very similar to Joseph. If you just took his story at a day at a time and put yourself into that story for a day, you're like, what in the world am I doing here? But God had a plan. And so how does this apply to all of us? Life is hard. We've all been there. Some of us are there now. Maybe life isn't making sense for you. Maybe things seem to be stacked against you. Maybe everything's going wrong. Maybe you're about to get impaled on a stake. Maybe not. But in these moments where things are stressful and things are hard and your job isn't getting out of, you're not getting out of your job what you thought and your church and your pastor and your, and your spouse and your neighbor, and things, just, everything's off. And things aren't going right and you didn't get that promotion and your car broke down and things like, what's going on? Why am I doing this? Why am I continuing to serve God? And in those moments you think to yourself, I think we think to ourselves one of four things. One, the devil is attacking me. That's what it is. The devil is attacking me. Two, we think this is a consequence, if you're a little bit healthy, this is a consequence of my choices, right? I'm the one that keeps eating McDonald's, so therefore, right? I like McDonald's, so that's not a judgment on any of you guys. The third one is we say, this is God testing or judging me. So it's the devil, it's my own choices, it's God. And the fourth option we tell ourselves sometimes, well, it's just dumb random luck just happening. Just the universe collided, and it's not my fault. It just happened to me. And so we look for this, and we're like, I don't know what to do. I'm trying to figure out, is this the devil? And you know, every time I get there in my life, I write all those four options down, and then I write down what my response would be if it was each one of them. And my response, if the devil is attacking me, is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read God's Word, and I'm going to follow God's Word. And then I think, what if, what if it's a consequence of my choices? Well, I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to follow God's word. But if it's God testing me or judging me, then I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to follow God's word. Now, if it's dumb random luck, well then I'm, it's going to be different. I'm going to read, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to follow God's word. What's causing it doesn't matter. Because God is Faithful. God is faithful. I, I thought through this in my, and this is, this is my line, but it's, just, it's this idea that, that God's will is found in obedience and it's noticed in hindsight. We find God's will in obedience. They had no idea what they were doing was fulfilling God's will. Saving the king, he had no idea that that was gonna come back later to save them, right? She had no idea, it was just like, yeah, no, I'll just, sure, I'll be a part of the beauty contest. Yeah, just tell me what, to wear. right? They had no idea that this was going to have such an impact. God's will is found in obedience. But you can see in the story when you look back, you can see God moving. You don't see God's name, but you see God moving. And so no matter how difficult our situations are, and you're there, you've been there, I'm there, I've been there, we can look back and see it, but in the moment it's a lot harder. I go back to that verse where it says the steps of a man are ordered by God. Even when we cannot see him working, he is working all things together for good. So when we are in these tough situations, these difficult circumstances, we have to trust that God is working and continue to follow him in those moments. And that is what faith is. Faith is not this all makes sense and so I'm going to follow God. Faith is I don't see God I I don't even know how this is going to work, but I'm going to follow God's word and trust that it's going to get me where I want. I'm going to follow God's word because he's ordering my steps. Because the Bible says, the steps of a man are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his way. Anxiety is a natural response to a perceived threat or stress in our lives. And in the moments of anxiety, or these moments where where things just seem overwhelming, psychologists say we have three choices. Number one, we can freeze. We can do nothing. We can melt into distractions and backgrounds so we don't have to think about or even see our difficult situation. Does the situation go away when we freeze? No. Number two, we can flee. We can run away from the situation. We can run away from that relationship, run away from that job, run away from that church, run away from that pastor. It's all their fault. It's my boss's fault, it's my wife's fault, it's my pastor's fault, it's my neighbor's fault. Bishop always said that if Peter has a problem with Caleb and Peter has a problem with Brother Robert and Peter has a problem uh, with Sister Hawk, well, Peter's got the problem. Think about that when you start thinking about all the people you have a problem with. And so we can freeze, we can do nothing, we can flee, we can run away, or we can fight. We can face it. We can stand up and do what needs to be done even at the risk of our own peril. We can face it and say, And maybe it's not as big as taking a sling at a giant. Maybe it's not as big as walking into the king and potentially getting killed. Maybe it's just, you know what, this is really tough, and I'm really having to face, I'm getting into my feels here. Like, I'm really having to face this. But you know what, God, I'm going to do it. It's difficult. just It's painful. I feel like you're ripping me apart inside. I doubt everything you're saying to me, but I'm going to follow it anyway. I'm going to face this. I'm gonna stand up to the situation. I'm gonna stand up and do whatever I can with the variables I have and follow God's word. That's faith. Because when we freeze or when we flee, that problem never leaves and it will impact the people behind us. Look through the story that we just read in Esther. Vashti stood up to King Xerxes, Mordecai stood up to Haman, Esther stood up to King Xerxes. And then the king stood up for Mordecai. The king stood up for Esther. Mordecai and Esther stand up for their people. And God, through all of it, is standing up for his people. Even though you don't see his name, you can now see it in the story. Let's stand this morning. The dirty secret in life, which you can find in the Bible... You can go find it by reading the Stoics, you know, the Marcus Aurelius and all these people, right? You can find it, read the philosophers and the theologians, Sung Tzu and the Buddha and all these other people. The secret in life is that when we face our problems, we grow. We learn. We become mature. We become spiritually who God wants us to be. But it's when we freeze and flee and do nothing about it that we don't grow. We don't learn. We don't change. And so that very obstacle, the very challenge, the very circumstance that's causing you all that angst is the thing you need to face with God. Romans 5, 3 in the ampli- I think it's the Amplified Version says, And not only this, but with joy, let us exalt in our sufferings and rejoice in our hardships, knowing that hardship, distress, pressure, trouble, produces patient endurance, and endurance, proven character, which is spiritual maturity, and proven character produces hope and confident assurance of eternal salvation, and such hope in God never disappoints us. That's really wordy, a wordy way to say that our sufferings, we're going to be happy about them, we're going to push through them, we're going to have faith, because our sufferings produce patience, patience produces character, character produces hope, and it changes our lives. And so the message today is keep facing your situation. God is with you. God is faithful. He is there to help you. You might not see him in the moment. His name might be not written. You might not be hearing from a burning bush. But God is there. He is there to help you face it. He is not there to help you run away from it. Go to Jonah. He is not there to help you freeze and do nothing. Go to Saul. He is there when you are facing it. And when you come through, Job, who really had to face something, Job 23.10, he says, but he knows the way that I take. He knows the way that I take and he pays attention to it. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. God is faithful. God is faithful. Maybe that's a line we got to start repeating to ourselves in the tough moments. God is faithful. Oh, but things are tarred right now and I don't know about my job. God is faithful. Yeah, but it doesn't make sense, but God is faithful. Just be that other voice to yourself when the negative voice comes in. But God is faithful. And when somebody's like, Brother Roberto, you know, things aren't going well, you, you, know, you should just change. No, God is faithful. God is faithful. I'm going to respond with God is faithful. But it doesn't make sense with what I see. Well, that's faith. And I'm going to say that God is faithful. Psalms 119.90 says, Your faithfulness is to all generations. The New International Version says, You continue to show people that they can trust you from century to century. There's a song called He's Been Faithful, and it says, In my moments of fear, through every pain and every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still enough, he's proved faithful to me. And every word he has promised is true, and what I thought was impossible, I've seen my God do. He's been faithful. He's been faithful to me. It's one of my favorite songs. It reminds me that God's been faithful. Even in my adverse circumstances, he will keep his promises. And so I will face my circumstances with faith. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. Thank you, God, for your word. God, thank you for ordering our steps, for knowing the path that I take and paying attention to it. God, help me to listen to you. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to follow your word when it doesn't make sense, God. And God, today I pray that you would bring to remembrance every person here the moments where you've been faithful. God, let it come into their mind like a beacon to remind them that even in tough situations, you were there, you were with them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts this morning. Remind us of your faithfulness, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have children in class, you can go get them. Otherwise, uh, greet a guest or somebody you haven't seen in a while and service will start up in a few minutes.